Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iProperty Radio or indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. And first up to join us is one of the most respected thought leaders in PropTech, uh, Nikki Greenberg, founder of Real Estate of the Future, coming to us from New York via Australia. Nikki, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to join you here today. Um, well, I'm delighted because, uh, Nikki, you've, I, I've described you uh, um, and your title as founder of Real Estate of the Future, but you are, of course, founder of Women in PropTech, which is a global movement that I'm very proud to be part of. Um, so you, you've been involved in this sector for, well, for as long as I can remember from the start, but certainly your background is more on the traditional real estate. So look, you might just talk to us about how you came to to get into PropTech and, and the route that you took. Absolutely. And you're right. We do know each other, um, particularly through the Women in PropTech movement and also with yourself being a an advocate for um, innovation and PropTech around the globe and for um, promoting your market. We've come in to, um, you know, we've run into each other a few times. So you know, I'm always happy to connect with you. Um, I suppose, you know, my personal journey is, as you mentioned, I'm very much from the real estate industry, having studied architecture and worked in it for a number of years before shifting into real estate development, working particularly on large mixed-use communities, um, anywhere from house and land to shopping centers, retail centers, et cetera. So, you know, I come to um, the prop tech and innovation scene very much as a real estate person in understanding that we have an industry that's been very slow to innovate but we also have an industry that affects people. We all live in buildings. We all work in buildings. Mm. Um, it's, it's um, you know, buildings are huge polluters. So the more that we can embrace technology and change, um, the more impactful that we can be. So, um, you know, my personal journey, as I said, um, coming from the real estate industry, um, particularly in Australia, working in it for a number of years. And then I moved to New York about four years ago. And it was in New York that I was really exposed to the prop tech and innovation scene. And I was just completely enamored with the types of people and the, um, you know, the great thinkers and the, um, the incredible smarts and um, creative way of thinking that people had. So I made it my mission to get to know um, the different players and the different technologies and the different solutions and um, really immerse myself within, um, you know, within the New York and what subsequently became the international prop tech scene um, and in doing so I wanted to connect with other people and subsequently built the women in prop tech network because I wanted to network with others in the industry um, and it was an absolute delight to bring um, you know more like-minded women together to understand what's happening in the industry and share their insights and connect from all across the world so it's been a bit of a journey um, you know and I always encourage people who are not familiar with prop tech um, and might be from traditional real estate to re- just to remember that this is quite a young and emerging field, which means that it's 
still early days to get in and to start getting a grasp of what's happening. And you can still be one of the first to really, um, you know, pilot and embrace the changes. So it's 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 a bit of a mindset um, with the types of people involved in it. Um, but it's it's for everyone. It's um, it's very creative. It's very exciting um, and absolutely brilliant people and technologies from around the world. Nikki, that's so great to hear you being um, really positive about. And, and I agree with you, by the way, I think it's more mindset as opposed to the discipline from which you come. So, you know, you've come from a real estate background, um, but actually what certainly what we saw in terms of early stage founders, um, they don't all come from a real estate background. So when you were introduced to the to this this emerging scene in New York, were you meeting people who were coming primarily from a technology point of view? Were they coming primarily from real estate or were they people who had experienced, you know, were they property consumers who had experienced problems and wanted to try address them? Um, a complete mix of all of the above. Um, my preference with meeting founders is meeting founders that actually understand the unique problems of real estate and then coming up with solutions for it. Um, and I'm going to be a little bit tongue in cheek here, but I am being quite serious. I'd so often meet um, a you know young founder saying you know well I I you know my origin story is that I was trying to find an apartment it was so difficult to find an apartment therefore I built a prop tech around it I'm like yes I've met hundreds of people saying the exact same thing whereas when I meet real estate people I will say listen you know I've worked in asset management for you know 15 years of my career and there wasn't a you know there wasn't a good solution so. I built something that I understood and now the industry has adopted it because I'm actually solving a problem, um, which is which is my preferred, um, you know, my preferred founder story. Obviously, a lot of bias being a real estate person. Um, and then the third category of getting, you know, the tech people coming in, you know, they bring a, um, a beautiful um, breadth of experience in terms of understanding technologies and the possibilities from outside of the industry and then understanding where the industry needs to head. Um, in those circumstances, when I'd meet up with them, they often wanted to learn more about real estate itself. So I think for anyone coming from a tech background, you really do want to um, be able to meet and understand the needs of the real estate market, get people on your team that understand real estate intrinsically, you know, just, um, you know, that goes further beyond just the um, the day-to-day -day dealings because the industry is huge and the problems lie deep. Um, and the more that you can understand, um, you know, the real estate industry, the more powerful you can be. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point about needing the deep understanding of real estate. Um, one of the things that I found certainly um, in the Irish marketplace, you know, going back five, maybe five, six years, is that a lot of the founders, um, it a lot of the this emerging sector wasn't industry led at all. It was very much consumer led. Again, the, the story that you are telling, you know, somebody who had a negative experience and knew that this was not this was not the way that people want to consume property in all of its guises and actually set about a solution. But actually, unless they partnered really with somebody from the real estate or were able to tap into that real estate knowledge, they just failed to get traction on the ground. Um, and I don't think, by the way, that that there is a right or a wrong way to do it, because I think that if you're very deeply immersed in real estate, you can be blind to the problems. You just see it as the way things are. So, you know, I, I think that there's a really a good balance required. And I that's why I actually love when when I see technology-led startups. And actually, while it might sound like that's the obvious solution, I would say that technology-led startups are actually in the minority um, in this sector. 
But I think that they're the ones that tend to do this really well because they understand the importance of the customer experience. And I'm not sure traditional real estate really prioritized service and the customer or even consumer experience in the way that technology people do. Um, so th- that's part of the that's part of the coming together that I'm really excited about because it's really improving the overall real estate offering, whether it's from residential or commercial. Um, you know, I, that, that's where I see the real value. But you've come from a background where you've worked across a number of different sectors. So and, and you mentioned there specifically retail. You know, how are I, I suppose from the from your position in New York, but also working with this global network, women and prop tech, where are you seeing retail trends Um in the context of COVID and beyond? Oh, my gosh, you really asked the easy questions, don't you? Um, <laughs> but, but you did um, you did phrase it in the right way. It's COVID and beyond. Uh, look, it's retail's interesting and it's been on, you know, bricks. It's, I'm, I'm going to say something, then I'll shoot myself in the foot and then I'll put it another way. Retail's interesting because it's been there's been a decline in um, in physical retail assets for quite some time. Why do you need to go to a bricks and mortar store when uh, you know e-commerce is on the rise? However, then we you know then we flip that over, and then in recent years we've seen um, online retailers asking to have a bricks and mortar presence. So you know from one way to the other way, and then of course now we come to COVID and talking to the um, the US context in New York in particular. The physical retail has suffered quite a lot. However, it's also suffered disproportionately. And what happened is that when we went into lockdown, essential services could stay open. Now, within essential services, obviously doctors, nurses, ambulances, etc. However, certain retailers also had exemptions, such as your Walmart, Home Depot, Bed Bath & Beyond, which are huge retailers. And what they needed to do, actually, is to um, have a a greater convergence of their physical and online presence. So what you're actually starting to see now is there was an increase, and I believe the number is by 43% of online retail for these traditional brands. But what they're also needing to do is look at their physical locations and think about, you know, how does your physical and your logistics work together? You know, what is that synergy? So there's a hell of a lot going on um, in in that regard. I always say that whenever there's a deep-rooted problem, as we know there is right now because there is a high, um, you know, there's a um, high rate of vacancies for retail and also for retail high streets. Obviously, when you have retail high streets, vacant, um, you know, it upsets the city life and the the ground floor life of communities. So we don't want to see, um, we don't want to see retail fail. And then you have the malls sitting empty, um, some of them having a change of use towards, um, you know, procurement, logistics centers, and so on and so forth. And of course, not to, um, not to leave the mouse, there's, you know, there's Amazon who are absolutely huge and, glow, you know, growing by the day and, um, they are um, leasing huge, huge, huge properties all around the globe for logistics centers. So there's a lot of change that's happening in the retail sector, especially as it relates to um, to retail properties. Um, there's a lot of problems. And what I always remind people of and I love to say is that when you do have big problems, then there's an opportunity to have big solutions, which means innovation. So again, I um, you know for your listeners that are coming from um, you know from prop techs and um, that are coming up with innovative ways of doing things, 
Retail is in such a state of flux. It's a great time to come in if you can identify problems and provide solutions, um, especially if they're elegant, if they're working with um, existing systems, if they're very easy to use so that it's not um, a huge change management issue, then you're going to be sitting on gold because there's big problems to solve. Nikki, I love the way that you phrase that because there is absolutely the big opportunities lie in big problems. And I think that's a fantastic way to say it. Um, I can't let you leave. I can't end this conversation today without asking um, really what your expectations are. And by the way, in the context of where we are with COVID, I realise that, you know, it really is much too early to even talk about the impact that um, this pandemic has had on real estate but maybe if we could just hone in on some of the more short-term trends that you see are likely for this sector in, you know, 2021, what, what, are, what are you expecting to see over the next six to nine months? Yeah, look, it's early to be talking about some of this stuff because we didn't, um, we didn't expect that we'd be going through a second wave or that this or third wave um, for the states really, or that it would be dragging on for so long. There's a few trends that we are seeing. Um, the extent of the length of the trend is going to be questionable. Um, you know, from from a New York context, we've seen um, a huge departure from the city. Um, we have record high vacancy rates um, for rentals, which we've never seen before. Um, you know, people moving out to the suburbs, to Connecticut, to Brooklyn, etc., which are um, commuter towns um, essentially. So from a um, from an office standpoint, what we're seeing is more um, local hubs being set up in those areas. Of course, commercial real estate is suffering in a huge um, in a huge 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 way. Um, the most recent number I heard was that there was only a fifteen percent um, incidence of people returning to the office, and obviously there's a flow on effect. Now, commercial real estate is not going to disappear; people will come back to the office. Um, but the extent to which they will um, and how quickly is, you know, a question mark. And there's definitely, as I know, everywhere around the world has been having the same conversation, to what extent do you need a physical office and to what extent can people work remote? So I'm personally, I'm a big believer in flex space. Um, when there's an environment of uncertainty, possibly um, uncertainty onto another provider. So I do think that flex space will be able to provide um, that spillover space that um, commercial tenants need. Retail, we've discussed, um, you know, logistics centers, even before COVID, they were on the rise. And actually, in the New York market, they were the highest performing asset class in 2019. And that's been the trend for quite some time. So that's definitely going to con um, continue. Um, I think it's, look, it's a very difficult time for the sector. Um, there is going to be a lot of properties changing hands. There is going to be a lot of movement. There is a lot of stress. Um, there is a lot of anxiety around what's happening. But I do like to remind people that fortunes are made during the downturn. Um, see this as an opportunity to position yourself well for the future. Um, you know, be positive. Work well with your teammates. Collaborate. Um, we will all get through this. You know, we can really just make an effort to build a better future on the other side of this because there's an opportunity to make some really significant and impactful changes right now. 
Nikki, that's so well said. Thank you so much. And I'm delighted that the final word we have on this is collaborate because you're the epitome of collaboration in the industry. And I think it's it's um, it's the key to unlocking a lot of the potential that lies in this industry as technology and real estate merges. That was Nikki Greenberg, founder of Real, of, uh, real Estate of the Future. Thank you again for joining us, Nikki. I always learn so much um, when we chat and I enjoy our chats. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9. Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. So I'm now joined by Stephen MacDonald, a partner at the PropTech Connection. So Stephen, you're very welcome today. Where are you joining us from today? Um, I'm joining um, you from Sydney in Australia. Okay. And obviously your accent tells us that you're not from there originally. So um Stephen, well, first of all, how long have you been in Australia? Um, this is my eighth year. Okay, and the accent hasn't waned. We like to see that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Stephen, uh, the PropTech Connection, um, is, the PropTech Connection is a relatively new organisation, but you're you've been really involved in the emerging PropTech sector since the start over the last few years. So you might just tell us a little bit about your own background uh, prior to the PropTech Connection. Yeah, for sure. I'm qualified as a, an accountant um, with PwC in Scotland and then went into um, a venture capital fund straight from there. And then there we looked at uh, renewable energy or sustainable technologies across Europe. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of them are actually in the real estate space. So there was dynamic insulation and walls um, and then kind of solar panels, that kind of thing. Um, I, then, I then moved to Australia and ended up in a role where I was working for one of the large REITs down here. Um, and that role was looking at um, ways they could actually bring in technology to improve the performance of the portfolio. So I was looking at residential portfolios. So I looked at um, automation of transactions in terms of settlements. Um, I looked at ways they could do better construction techniques, various things. And anyway, as a result of that, I, I ended up um, being asked to, to join a venture capital fund down here, which invests primarily in, in PropTech. Um, and I was investment director there for just over a couple of years. And then, uh, as you said, um, founded the, the PropTech Connection. Very good. And so uh, you're, you're coming from this, uh, not just from the financial background, but you've actually been a prop tech buyer at the very early stages um, for the REIT that you were working for. So actually, in terms of, of your your position when you were buying in prop tech at such an early stage, first of all, were you only looking at the Australian market or were you were you actually exploring international solutions? Um, we, we were quite agnostic. Like, and the company I was at is a company called Mervac, and Mervac, um, to its credit, had quite an open lens. They were looking just to solve problems. Um, so we had technologies, obviously, domestically, but we saw a couple from Singapore um, and then maybe a couple from America as well. Okay. And um, in terms of some of the solutions that were being rolled out, because obviously that was a number of years ago, uh, you know, it, there was technology that maybe didn't fall under the label of PropTech, but we were just starting to see this huge drive towards sustainability. And I think ESG was only coming on the radar at that stage. Um, in terms of the motivations of your employers at that time, was it in terms of cost savings? Was it the reputational benefit? You know, what was driving this move towards technology? Um, it was a number of things. Like you, you touched on ESG there, but another 
like kind of recurring theme was was health and safety. Um, and it's actually a very good point that you make there, Carol, is that we were looking at ways, as I say, to improve the ROI in our portfolio. So we're then very kind of focused on that. And I think some of the, the some of the prop techs I've seen haven't quite made that leap yet from kind of quantifying the benefits of their solution into that world for a, a buyer like, like the I was working for. Um, so I think in, in terms of the solutions, it was ESG, health and safety. Um, but then we were looking at things like using data to to improve the, the construction business, but also maybe buy better in terms of acquisitions across because they were a retail, commercial and residential owner. So th- there was various technologies, but it, they were coming at it very much from a portfolio, like a very financial metric view, which allowed us to explore a number of technologies. Yeah, and I, I think that that's quite a common theme across this industry. And in fact, it was one of the primary criticisms of uh, new entrants into the prop tech sector, which is that, you know, maybe there was a disconnect uh, between technology that was cool and certainly had the the ability to be transformative, that, but that maybe wasn't going to be solving either an immediate or a priority problem, or it just wasn't going to be able to show the return on investment over the short or, or even over the medium term. And there seemed to be that disconnect. Um, and I think that you've rightly identified that. So I suppose that leads us quite nicely into the PropTech Connection. You might just explain to our audience what exactly the PropTech Connection does and what it aims to do. Sure. Um, as, as you're well aware, Carol, given the, the position that you hold within the European industry, there's a lot of money and noise in the space. Um, and what I felt with my time having been a buyer of the technology and then an investor and partnering up with people that have set up PropTechs is that there's actually a gap in that market in terms of connecting everyone together. So there's a, mm-hmm. a lot of people trying to integrate it and the problems that you identified there are, are very real. And my personal belief is unless you've been on every side of that kind of transaction, either from a buyer investor or the actual the vendor of the technology, you, it's very hard for you to then penetrate into certain areas. Um, so what we've then set up to do is we've then said, well, let's work with the funds and let's work with the buyers of the technology and understand it from a commercial problem, given that's where our experience is. And then we'll flip that round and then go and hunt and, and source the technologies that fit that problem for them. And because we do it from that way, we're not then restricted from a, a, um, a geographical basis. We're then able to explore globally, which is why we've then set up a series of um, venture scouts who are then able to work with us in sourcing technologies. And then we, we, we share on that the return on that journey. Okay, very good. And you and I had a conversation over the past month. um, And in this conversation, you know, one of my primary goals for for that conversation was I was frustrated with the, really the VC ecosystem in Ireland and for Irish startups meant that, you know, beyond uh, the half a million um, that that is supported by state and then matched funding, you know, really growing beyond that most good startups in Ireland need to look outside of Ireland. Now, the lucky ones only go as far as London so they can actually retain an Irish company, an Irish base and and maintain their family connections and things like that. But actually, that's not the situation um, if we look at other other, uh, 
um, jurisdictions there in terms of if people are going to the US for funding, irrespective of whether it's the East Coast or West Coast or um, indeed Canada. And these these are genuine problems for startups here in Ireland. You know, the, the eco, it's not just actually the, the ecosystem um, in terms of funding is not as well developed. We don't have some of the measures in place that would actually encourage uh, further investment. Now, there is, the, there is a change um, promised as a review of our funding um, ecosystem there in place in our investment ecosystem to make it more attractive for investors both in Ireland and outside of Ireland to invest in prop techs, or sorry, to invest in all startups, uh, technology or otherwise. But we're not there yet. Um, so I reached out to you to see if there was maybe opportunities for Ireland based. And I, I say Ireland based because what we're seeing at the moment is that the startups registered in Ireland are not necessarily Irish, but that they are choosing Ireland. So they're coming maybe from Eastern Europe and they're choosing Ireland as a base, particularly in, in the context of Brexit. They're choosing to be in Ireland um, to start up. So, Stephen, what I wanted to know, because obviously uh, coming from a selfish point of view, we want to promote prop tech startups in Ireland. Uh, the VC and money is one side of it. The other side of it is access to international uh, testing environments and pilot projects that might in turn become early customers. Is that a realistic proposition that you can that you can offer, that you can make available, that you can facilitate? Yeah, yeah yes and no. I mean, if you're looking to do a large commercial building in Sydney CBD, um, you're probably not going to get a proof of concept that easily particularly if you're not located in the region um mm -hmm. however where i think there's real scope for that is obviously PropTech's very broad but maybe in the construction space or maybe in the residential agency space or even the broader agency space which has a higher number of transactions so because there's that mm -hmm. velocity of transactions people are willing to take a greater risk because actually the the risk of something failing in that environment is far less than if you put sensors into a commercial building, which is worth $400 million. So I think it depends on the technology um, and it probably depends on where they are. Like I, I feel sorry for a lot of the, the startups in the prop techs because of the, in the prop tech industry because they are developing some great technologies, but because of the lead times and the quantums involved, some of them are just too early. Um, so, that in a roundabout way to answer your question, I think it's very dependent on the technology. But there is opportunity there if you, if you project it in the right way. Okay, well, talk to us then about the initial offering from uh, PropTech Connection. So say, for example, you know, a, a deep tech innovator goes to you with a concept. You know, for example, we know that the... The, the most immediate wins in 2021 are likely to be pandemic responsive solutions for building, you know, right. how to make the workplace safe, uh, whether it's contactless uh, voice, um, you know, voice technologies. There's a whole range of contactless technologies that are likely to, to you know, go from novelty to necessity. People are actually going to need it as opposed to, you know, it being some positioning tool um, in, in a reach, you know, uh, to, to make a contemporary building, you know, to elevate it to another level. You know, so suddenly we're seeing this shift in technology. I presume or I, I'm assuming that we're going to see that shift from the buyer's perspective. Has that started to happen already? In terms of embracing the technologies for COVID? 
Yeah, absolutely. But also in terms of prioritizing what needs to be, you know, prioritizing what needs to come first. So whether it's making the workplace safe, um, how to do that, you know, likely contactless is something that can that can promote and ensure social distancing, you know, and and it's not just about making the workplace, uh, the workplace is safe. It's about the perception of it, you know, that your employer or that your team feels safe to return. You know, that's that's a huge psycholo- psychological element maybe that hasn't been touched on. And actually technology has a role to play there because it's not just about making these buildings safe, because in a lot of ways that's already been done. But it's actually about convincing team members that they're safe to the point that they'll want to return. I mean, is this something that's on the, the buyer's radars at the moment? Yeah, very much so. And it's in their interest to return. And, and you raise a great point. I, I don't think we've actually explored the liability issue in terms of staff going back on, on the behest of their employers should something happen to them. Um, and t- mm-hmm. on the technology front, um, it was actually a really interesting experiment because you saw a lot of companies spring up and say, look, I've got a contactless solution or um, retina scanning or overlays into hot desking or, or whatever it may be. Um, but speaking to a buyer recently, they said that actually a lot of them, these technologies couldn't be taken on from a, a compliance point of view. So there's a, a, a standard called GS007, which REITs have to abide by. And then beneath that, your testimony now, I think it's ISO 20071. And, and that basically means if you're a listed company, um, you have to have all your technologies comply with this. So these kind of dynamic startups set up these technologies, but because they didn't comply with that, a lot of the large reach couldn't take these technologies on. The, the second thing you saw with the COVID response is that a lot of it's actually almost nullified by the, the, the lift restrictions. So because you can mm-hmm. only get, um, in Australia, it's, I think it's four, um, their respect to the size of the people in the lift, actually getting that through fare of people in is actually really difficult. And there's two main lift manufacturers down here and a lot of the technology companies are quite young. So for them to then take liability for running the lifts is a huge risk. Um, so yeah, so in terms of your question, yep, there's been a lot of response to it. Some have succeeded, but there's actually some natural barriers in that field, which have meant it's been very difficult to implement those technologies. Okay, and actually the, the natural barriers, particularly in terms of compliance for uh, technology providers selling into REITs, I mean, that's a, that's a really important one for people to be aware of. Um, where do you see the opportunities, you know, over the next six to 12 months? There's still, you've got to split it into different sectors. Re- Retail is very, very open. If you can demonstrate traffic going back to retail, which will then have a knock-on effect in rents, um, there's there's a lot of um, aspiration for that. Um, construction's still quite raw in terms of its usage of data. And I think a lot of governments is going to use construction as a way to build out their economies. Um, so I think there's going to be work there. Um, commercial is where it is. Like I, I think commercial is definitely the toughest space, COVID or not, just because the lead times, the portfolio sizes. Um, but you are seeing companies starting to embrace technologies rather than just bringing it itself. So they're the main areas for me. Um, what, what what do you think, Karen? Oh. Is it the same up in Ireland? Uh, well, I, I I see construction. Um, since 2015, 2016, I've been an advocate for prop tech across the, the entire planning 
construction property and um, the the entire ecosystem for the for the life cycle of the building. However, what I'm seeing at the moment, the most opportunities are definitely on the construction space. The more interesting technologies are coming out for the construction space. And in fact, we've seen a shift in Ireland where the number of innovators selling into the construction as opposed to property, um, that balance is starting to shift. It was only the, the minority selling into the construction and and that's growing massively. But what I'm seeing on the on the property or the real estate side is more a consolidation. So where we had early innovators offering solutions um, three, four, five years ago, the premise of those solutions are now being rolled up. They're being plugged into to other solutions uh, for a more frictionless, seamless um, offering. But what we're seeing is the individual, the individual innovators maybe are losing out. The individual innovators aren't; they're failing to get traction on their own. So actually, you know, that, that what that tells me is that the real estate sector really needs everything packaged in a neat little bow. They're not good at uh, trialing new technologies. They're not good at being able to isolate problems and and apply solutions it needs to be done in a very uh, holistic way and that's a really difficult thing for any emerging sector to do because it's quite disjointed by nature so actually one of the things we've been encouraging our prop tech startups here to do is where they're solving one problem to coordinate and incorporate with another startup that's maybe solving another problem to to work well and to come in and introduce as a package because actually that's what the buyers on the real estate side of it want, as opposed to the construction side. With construction, I, I've always found them to be savvy operators where if you can show a return on investment, if you can, the margins in construction are so tight that if you can show value, then you're likely to be given an opportunity to trial. So they're much more open in terms of testing environments. Um, that's the experience in the Irish market anyway. But I tend to agree with you that um, construction is where I see the most immediate opportunities that and of course, the pandemic response of solutions for tech. But um, it, it will be interesting. You know, 2020 has been a very unpredictable year. We don't have any reason to believe that 2021 is not going to be just as unpredictable. So, we, you know, it, it will be an interesting one to watch. And obviously, Stephen, we'll stay in touch with you through the PropTech Connection because fo following on from our conversations last week, we are, of course, hopeful that we will be able to funnel some Irish providers through to you that will be suitable for testing environments and indeed early early stage customers and uh, hopefully that will lead to some nice funding opportunities as well but uh, early days early days no, indeed Carol look I, I don't mean to be pessimistic there's still a great bit of appetite across I mean primarily Asia where we are but just quickly on the fund side there is a lot of funds that are willing probably mm. to take a greater risk as long as you're able to position mm. that idea um, or that technology in a, in a clever way so that there's a lot of money to deploy. So if you, if you position it right, you should be okay. Very good. Okay, that was Stephen McDonald, partner at the PropTech Connection. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. We need to take another quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now, continuing our international prop tech theme, I'm delighted to be joined by one of my favorite people in prop tech, and that's Alfredo Diaz Araque Moro. And I hope I've gotten the pronunciation right. And Alfredo is the founder of Spanish Prop Tech and also works with well known prop tech here in Ireland um, and internationally, Spot a Home. So, Alfredo, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be with you and in, in Ireland with uh, thanks to the radio. Because as you know, I'm, yeah, no. yes, I'm half Irish because I, I've been in, in Galway in 2010 for three, four months uh, learning English. And I'm very happy to speak in, in Ireland. It's like my second well, home. Uh, uh, Alfredo, your language is great, but your but your maths are not great. Your mathematics are not great because you cannot live here for three or four months and be half Irish. I mean, that's a quarter Irish at best. <laughs> Okay, yes, maybe. But, but I always I prefer to language than maths. Okay. Well, did you enjoy your time in Galway? Yeah, I think that's Ireland in general is a good country, good people, very similar than the Spanish people. I think that they, for me it was incredible that the people were very warm and, and, and always helping to the people in, in, in Ireland that the people that don't speak speak and is not from Ireland. And I love Ireland, sincerely. I think it's a great country. Oh, well, thank you so much. We're delighted to hear that. And as you know, I, I've lived and spent time in Spain and I would agree with you there. Actually, I think there's huge similarities um, in the personalities of the, the people in Ireland and Spain. And I, I'm sure it depends on what region you go to as well. But, um, I, you know, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of similarities there in terms of a family first yeah. culture and, and work ethic and all. So it's something that I've definitely noticed. And look, um, I'm today I particularly want to talk to you about um, your work. Uh, uh, you, I described you there as the founder of Spanish PropTech. Mm -hmm. um, so I have known you online and I'm delighted we actually got to meet last year before all the travel bans. Yeah. But I've known you online for a number of years now because you've been you've been very heavily involved in promoting the um, really promoting PropTech across all of Spain while you're actually based in Madrid yourself. So can you tell us a little bit about the early days of Spanish PropTech? Yes, I'm going to explain because a lot of people think that Spanish PropTech is an association, the National Association of PropTech in Spain or the big community. But sincerely, uh, Spanish PropTech is my personal project because I I started to, be in, to get involved in, in PropTech in 2015, something like that. And I started to study uh, about how the technology impact in, in, in the real estate, okay? And in this process of learning and talking with a lot of people, I discovered, uh, I figured out in that uh, there were a, a, a war that was in technology and property, PropTech, okay? I say, okay, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> that's what I was looking for years. And uh, I decided yeah. to start uh, a website that is Spanish PropTech because no one has the, the no one have the, the, has the name in, in Spain and they say okay this is it's a very good moment to take the the name and I started with a, a blog uh, years ago and this year with uh, taking advantage of the lockdown I launched the the new website and few and one month ago I started with a podcast about uh, property and digital transformation in real estate. Uh, in Spanish, sorry. Now in, in English, I'm waiting for, for English. I think it's very difficult for yeah, me. Yeah. No, no. And, and, and actually, I, I was so excited when I saw that your podcast had launched and I had to send it to my daughter to listen to because her Spanish language fluency is much greater than mine. <laughs> um, so I, I have some, I have some learning to, to get through before I, I'm, before I have a level of fluency that I can properly understand all that you're saying. 
But I, I was, I, I actually tuned in because you had a number of really interesting guests so far. Yeah. So actually, um, thank you. Not only am I sharpening my prop tech, international prop tech uh, skills and insights, but actually it's sharpening my Spanish too. So uh, gracias. <laughs> <laughs> Un placer. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Good. Good. And so tell me, um, in, in terms of, I, you know, you're very modest to say that, you know, PropTech is Spanish PropTech. You know, it's not this big association that it actually started as your personal project. But actually, if you speak to most of the founders of hubs, uh, you know, these international hubs mm-hmm. right across, uh, not not just Europe, but internationally, they all started as one or two or three people's personal project um, to promote the industry. And in fact, PropTech Ireland was the very same. You know, we don't work on a membership basis where we charge membership. It was very much a, a, an entity where we wanted to give back to the community. And so around the similar time that, you know, you and I would have met online uh, through all these PropTech hubs about 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. Um, the same thing, we saw that there was, I, I, well, I, I don't know about you, but certainly for us, we found that there was um, there was a great wealth of talent, you know, great innovators and great ideas. And there were definitely big problems in the industry. And yet somehow those two couldn't connect. The people, you know, who were designing solutions and the people who were experiencing problems were just having trouble connecting. Um, and I, I think a huge part that needed to happen was awareness. And I know that that is something you did through Spanish PropTech mm-hmm. because I've read some of the articles that you've written. I, You know, I've learned a lot of what I know about uh, the PropTech ecosystem in Spain. I've actually gotten through a lot of the materials that you've researched or written or shared. Um, and education, the education of the traditional industry is a huge part of yeah. this. How how long were you involved in the traditional industry before Spanish property? Uh, I started in the in the real estate market in 1999, uh, before the 2000 okay. <laughs> and the 2000 effect. So a long a, a long, long time. time ago, yes, a long time. And I've been and I've been and I started in shopping centers, okay, in in the industry of shopping centers. And I moved to, mm-hmm. after the crisis, I moved to, to residential. And my background is real estate. And when I go to a, a, a different programs to, to speak or events, I always say, I'm a real estate person. I'm not a, someone that is a technological person or something or someone to start it a startup or something like that. No, no, my background is uh, real estate. And for that reason, my my goal in with the Spanish PropTech is to teach the or try to teach uh, humble uh, that to the traditional market and to the traditional uh, my my colleagues that digital transformation is here and we have to move to the digital transformation. For me, it's not important. To, it's important to to teach to the startups how to approach to the real estate market. Of course, it's important, but it's more important that the where is the money. And what is the, the the problems that it is in the traditional market to move to the digital movement? Okay, move there. And for that reason, I always write about that. For example, don't stop. Uh, I think that the one of the last posts was don't stop innovation. Now is the moment to innovate. Please don't stop. Yeah. And because of that, because, yeah. because how- the people, the, the, tra- the traditional market say that it's focused on sell properties. Okay, in general, okay. or investing properties or something like that. And Digital transformation or all that is implied by technology is not in the core business. And I try to 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 teach or to explain 
that technology is in the core business in the in the real estate companies too. And it's very a part, very important in real estate nowadays. Yeah. And uh, look, I, I think it was important back in 2015 when you started saying it. I think in 2020, when we're, when we're living through the impacts yeah. of uh, COVID-19, you know, all of these benefits that we've been selling as convenience and, and these, you know, we're seen in some way as novelties are now really being reinforced as necessities of mm -hmm. the business. And um, But maybe maybe we'll just take, a take. you might just share with us what how adoption rates were across the traditional property industry or real estate industry in Spain prior to COVID-19. You know, how were you finding adoption rates across the traditional industry? Uh, I think that in, it's important to understand that uh, maybe in, in, in Ireland you are going to understand me very well because the crisis stopped everything in real estate, okay? And we started mm. to to see with positive view uh, through um, 2013, 14, something like that. And here in Spain, we started to, to, to talk in massively uh, about PropTech in 2017, okay? Mm, and we live a very good moment about PropTech and how PropTech is important. And a lot of companies, the big developers in, in Spain and, and big uh, consultancy firms start to talk about PropTech and see and, and so the, the importance of PropTech. Okay. Now people is saying that COVID is accelerating uh, PropTech and digital transformation. And I think that what is mm -hmm. accelerating is that the people that didn't have the, the level of PropTech, because for example, I, I explained in, in the last events that I've, I've been, I say, okay, imagine that the level is one or zero is no level in technology and 10 is the, the, the best um, student, okay? Maybe the average was in six in Spain, six, seven in technology. and But, but a lot okay. of people didn't reach this level. And now with the COVID, they say, oh my God, I don't have, uh, for example, virtual views. I don't have uh, tools to enter in the um, uh, in the buildings with apps. All the people that didn't do anything about that now they are going. They are running to achieve the normal level. Okay, it's like the but the student that yeah. study <laughs> in the last the, the yeah. last previous to the exam is the same, and it's not it's not accelerating. Yeah. Is that the people is reaching? The, uh, the the level that is the minimum level, okay? And in general, in Spain, we have a very good um, uh, level in PropTech and we need to make uh, more. For example, UK is in, in the top of, uh, of, of the world, like uh, USA. And in Spain, maybe the difference between uh, other countries is that uh, the, the highest level in, in PropTech is in residential market, okay? Is where developers and, yeah. and consultancy firms work harder. In, in in this level, in this in this type of assets. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. Uh, you know, I I haven't heard it explained like that, and I think that's a really interesting point. You know, because the same conversation is happening here in Ireland, not just in terms of prop tech, but all technology and digital transformation of mm -hmm. all sectors. You know that COVID COVID has really accelerated this, but I haven't heard anybody articulating that it's only accelerating those who hadn't yeah. moved in the, you know, in the, la in the last number of years. So then how, 
is is it having any impact then on people who were leaders in this space? You know, are they using this opportunity to do more um, or or are they actually stagnating? One of the, as I told you, one of the problems for me is that the people that was in the cutting edge of the technology, they stopped the mm-hmm. technology. Okay, they stopped because... Yes, interesting. Because now they have to. I don't know how do you say maybe in English. I'm going to try to save the box. No, they don't. They don't want to spend. Yeah, yes, I, I they don't understand. Want to spend more money than that, that they need. Okay, and they say, okay, we are going to cut. And the first part that they cut is marketing, and maybe technology. And it's technology because they don't understand. As I told you, that technology is part of the of the business. Okay, and they decide to cut. It's true that a lot of people, as I told you start to um, use apps for, for buildings or maybe uh, start with the uh, virtual viewings, etc. But these are the people that didn't do that, okay? The leaders continue with technology, but not in the same level that's previous to the COVID because now they have to focus on maybe sell houses or rent spaces for office or uh, in or focus on disinvest in some activities that are not in the in the core business. Okay, they are focusing in in other in in another ways of the of the business life, and they don't and they they don't see as technology as part of the of the core business. And they and and they, I think that we have to change that. I remember in in Paris in Paris, yeah. uh, Brendan Wallace, the the manager of uh, Fifth Wall, said that in the future. Yes, in, in his opinion, in the future, uh, in real estate and digital companies will, will be the same. And I think that is the, the idea that we have to 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 keep in mind that technology will be part yeah. of of us, and real estate will be technology. And because the yeah, I, I I think I think you're right. And in fact, I think if the whole prop tech movement and push that we're seeing this decade is successful, by the mm-hmm. next decade there won't be there won't be a sector of prop tech. It will just, it would be almost like having a sector of computers being used in real estate. You know, it just, it will be so ubiquitous that, you know, every, every transaction will be uh, frictionless online, that uh, artificial intelligence will simply be one of the tools Mm -hmm. we use when we're when we're reporting, you know, it'll be a simple reporting tool. Um, so I I I agree with Brandon Wallace yeah. of Fifth Wall there. Um, you know, and I, I think that if it's successful, that's that's what will happen. And um, but you know, we we've we've spoken there about your work uh, through Spanish PropTech, but as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're also involved. Um, and and while you've described yourself as a traditional um, property and and real estate person. That you are actually working with uh, with one of the leading prop techs at the moment, yeah. <laughs> Spotahome. So, and Spotahome, as you well know, uh, was in Ireland for I think about eighteen months, and they closed their doors. They were one of the earliest casualties of of COVID nineteen. I, I think would it be fair to say they closed back in April, yeah, maybe <laughs> or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so very early. So like, can you talk to us a little bit just so we can get into specifics, you know, about Spot Home? Because I, I know at a time Spot Home actually had uh, had one of the largest number of employees for a prop tech company in Europe. Um, so at what at what level was that? Okay, I'm going to explain because, for example, I think that the 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 measures that we made and and the the board of management in in Spot Home 
took in in, in during these months i think that there was the 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 correct uh, the correct um, decisions okay why because Mm-hmm. Previous, and I think that it was something that we were started. I think that uh, when we were trying to to go to public, uh, and the, with the fail, a lot of the investment funds in and the market in 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 in, in PropTech say, okay, maybe it's not a good thing to grow massively every month. The most important thing in a in a PropTech startup is the efficiency and uh, profitability. Okay. And maybe COVID accelerated that. And a lot of uh, startups in PropTech in Spain and I think in, in, in the rest of the world start to say, okay, we have to make an, a big effort in uh, profitability and efficiency. And for that reason, we made a lot of decisions that is it's hard to, to today to take these decisions, but it's for the um, for the living of the company, okay? And for the living from the, for the workers. And for that reason, we decided not close, maybe Dublin, but just the office. And, and now the people from London is running the the office, the Dublin, sorry, the Dublin market. And at the same, for example, in Brussels is made is the people is in France in Paris is a, is in charge of of Brussels. And it's it's a, a a way to make profitable because it's the the what the our investor asks for that. And I think that it's important, and it's yeah. a very good moment, and it's very, it's lo- it's a logical moment m- m- movement for the startups, because we I think that we were crazy yeah. about growth, 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 and burn money, and it's not fair for the rest of the market that we are going to burn money, and not profitability, and it's important to understand that yeah. the startups and- have to be profitable. No, that, that's a that's a very fair point. And it's something that, look, um, in terms of startups, we know that 2020 has been such an unusual yeah. year, you know, so it, like in, in terms of funding, you know, what we're seeing, the the, the overall figures, uh, if you look Europe wide, they don't tell the full picture. So what we're seeing is that there there has been an almost consistent, although slightly reduced level of investment in startups. Um, however, when you drill down into those figures, we know that most of that investment is going into already funded companies to keep them going. And actually, there's very little happening. There's very little investment for first time uh, funded companies. And so I think your point is well made there. You know, there, there's there has to be limits to how quickly a startup yeah. can grow um, if it's not matching it, it's burn um you know mm-hmm. it's burn rate and that's something that really we saw so starkly through the whole we work saga you know that that really brought that home that you know there needs to be a, a different approach and i think you know covid-19 has been a test for mm-hmm. all businesses whether they're startups or long established or whether they're traditional or very high tech or cutting edge you know it's been such a test um i suppose before we finish up you know, what are you seeing now? You know, now that we are, uh, we're looking, uh, we're approaching 2021, um, you know, you, you mentioned before we came on air that, you know, Spain was in lockdown. It's about to go back into lockdown for about uh, 14, 15 days to 
to almost prepare for what's likely to be, you know, increased activity over Christmas. And by the way, Ireland mm-hmm. is the very same. We're still in lockdown at the moment. Um, there's an expectation that we won't be in lockdown over Christmas, but there's certainly an expectation that it's very likely that, you know, we may end up back in lockdown after Christmas. Um, so how do you see 2021 shaping up for the prop tech industry in Spain you know, are there pockets of opportunity still left, even if COVID persists? I think that um, uh, making a little bit of history here in Spain about PropTech, etc. Um, I think that, for example, in the first years of PropTech in 2014 or something like that, uh, what the market, what the real estate market uh, need was um, information and a good information. And for that reason was the, the time for all the big data analytics, machine learning startups, okay, in, in PropTech. Now is the moment from low touch economy is a, and, and try to avoid the social distance, okay? I think, I think that 2021 yeah. will be the year for IoT on all the startups that uh, give solution to the market to solve that the problem that is the social distance and to to um, to be uh, and to have the the right people in the office and etc. Okay, and in, in general, I think that it would it will be a very good year for this kind of of startups because they are giving a solution okay, that the, yeah. the, for a problem that the real estate market has. You know, I, I think it's interesting. I agree that contactless is absolutely going to be one of the driving forces and all of that is powered by IoT and the mm. connectivity of smart buildings. Um, but I think what's interesting is that that's likely to um, accelerate the growth of voice of technology. Mm-hmm. And that's something that last year, last year that was predicted to increase massively, uh, yet it didn't happen. Um, so it's interesting that actually I think voice technology is likely to be one of the the leading um, areas of technology now in in 2021, and you know, and, and that would actually that would means it it would be true that um, COVID nineteen is actually accelerating trends that we had already seen because actually twenty I, I remember back in maybe 2019 or early 2020, voice technology was going to be, you know, was going to increase Mm -hmm. real estate searches. It was going to be how we organized information. It was going to be how we uh, reported issues. And yet it didn't happen. But now it actually Mm -hmm. might happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an it's an interesting one. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. That was Alfredo Diaz Araki uh, Moreau and founder of Spanish Prop Tech and, of course, working also with Spot a Home. Again, Alfredo, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to get some insights um, from the international markets just to deepen our understanding because Ireland, of course, is a country, a, a small country. It's an island and we're so dependent on the wider ecosystem in Europe and beyond. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. That's it from us in Property Matters today. Thank you for listening in on Dublin South FM. And you can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Talon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week. From myself, Carol Talon, and all this team here, stay safe.